Um, it would be great if you could have Psalm 8 open in front of you. That's what we're going to be looking through this morning. I'm going to begin in prayer. Heavenly Father, we know that without your Spirit, we cannot truly understand your Word. And we know that without your Spirit, we cannot truly change our hearts that we would praise you and that we would live for you. So we ask for your Spirit that you would move in our affections, that we would love you more, and that we would be conformed more and more to the image of Christ. Amen. Ailey and I have uh, friends in Perth who know Hugh Jackman. It turns out that they uh, grew up together over east. And it is very clear that they think Hugh Jackman is amazing. It's really hard not to notice. They talk about him all the time. They recount tales. They watch all his movies. They even know every line to every song in The Greatest Showman. They are big Hugh Jackman fans. But that is nothing compared to what we see in this psalm. We see David, who has a very, very big view of God. More than a fan, David thinks that God is the most brilliant, the most magnificent. And as we go through Psalm 8, the question of this psalm is, do we share David's view? Do we think God is someone small, someone insignificant who can be pushed off to the side? Or is he the biggest and the best? And does the way that we live our life reflect what we think about God? Psalm 8, it's a truly wonderful psalm because it shows us that God is more majestic and more wonderful than we can possibly fathom. David begins and he ends this psalm the same way. He uses the same line twice and it acts like a megaphone saying, don't miss this. He declares, look with me, verse 1, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. David is filled with praise, he is filled with adoration, and he writes this psalm so that we might join him in praising God. He wants us to say with him, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. As we look through this psalm, we're going to see two really unexpected ways that God shows his majesty. If I was trying to convince someone that God is majestic, I was trying to convince them that they should praise God, I would probably talk about how lofty God is, how high and exalted He is. But actually, David takes a very different tack. We're going to see two ways in which God's majesty is shown in lowliness. Two ways that God's majesty is shown in lowliness. And the first is that He shows favour to the lowly. We see this in verse 3 and 4. Look with me in your Bibles. David says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. 
We can imagine the situation as David is writing this psalm. Uh, perhaps it's a, a clear summer evening and he's sitting on the, on the lawn looking up at the sky. And as he looks up, he sees stars too numerous to count. A dark night sky that is brightened by them. As he sits there, he, he sees the moon taking centre stage in the night sky. He can see all its craters as it gives off its glow. And David considers the splendour of what God has made. I wonder if you can relate to that situation. I remember being on a church camp with a friend of mine and we went down the bottom of a paddock, looked through his telescope and I saw dazzling stars. But what took my breath away was seeing the rings around Saturn. Was at that moment I got a bigger view of God. Now David, he's not an astronomer or an astrophysicist. He doesn't have a telescope. Yet he knows that the heavens declare the glory of God. The night sky is like the biggest neon sign that says a wonderful God made this. We can see in verse 3 that this glorious universe is simply the work of his fingers. He has chosen to set the stars in their place as though he were merely painting on a canvas. This is a God powerful beyond comprehension. But that's actually not David's point. It's in comparison to the splendor of the heavens which David ponders in verse 4, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. We often ask the question, why should I care about God? But David asks the question, why should God care about us? We are little people on a little planet who are here for a little amount of time. We're formed from dust, and to dust we will return. In the book of Job, one of his friends puts it rather bluntly. He says, human beings are but a worm. And the point is that we're nothing special. In fact, in comparison to God, we're nothing at all. So why should God be mindful of us? Well, it's completely undeserved. It's undeserved favour. God chooses to care for each and every one of us. He has a personal and intimate concern for us all. Sometimes we feel small and insignificant, but have you stopped to consider that God is mindful of you? He knows what you're going through. He knows that some of us are struggling with work. Some of us are struggling with loneliness. Some of us are struggling with sickness. He knows who's having a hard time with their family relationships and those who feel like they have nowhere left to turn. More than just knowing, God cares and God acts. It's like a, a father who carefully watches their son as they learn to walk. God has his full attention on us. So can we marvel with David that the God who made the heavens cares for us? 
David goes on in this psalm to say that God has clothed us with royal dignity. That's what he says in verse 5. Look with me. You have made them, that is humankind, a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honour. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild and the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea and all that swim in the paths of the sea. The imagery is drawing us back to Genesis 1 where God made humans with nobility. The language of crowned with glory and honour is the language of royalty, royal dignity. And though we are part of this world, God has set us as the pinnacle of his creation, just a step lower than the angelic beings. There's a sense in which God's majesty is to be proclaimed through us, While we rule over this world in God's manner, he is seen to be bigger and he is seen to be greater. See, God uses lowly people for his purposes. That's exactly what we see in verse 2 as well. I don't know if you noticed, verse 2 is a really interesting verse in this psalm because if you took it out, we would never notice. It reads from verse 1 into verse 3 perfectly. But in verse 2, we see that God is using lowly children to silence his foes. See, he shows such favour to the lowly, he, he cares such for the lowly, and he is willing to use the lowly for his purposes. See, can we marvel with David? Can we praise God with him? But in reality... Praise is actually really far from our lips, isn't it? See, the the tragedy is that despite the way that God has shown dignity and honour to humanity, despite the fact that he has poured his favour upon us, we've actually not praised him, we've turned our backs on him. We've rejected him and despised him, far from praise. One of my friends this week has been using uh, the phrase that we are glory thieves. We don't want God to be praised, we want to be praised ourselves. So we despise him and reject him. And the Bible calls that sin. We ruin the good world that God has given us because we plunder and cheat and steal. We hurt those whom God cares for. We're arrogant, thinking that we're self-made people and that we don't even need God. Because we've done this, we're no longer on right terms with God. Instead, we're under his judgment. It's a judgment that leads to death. The Bible says that, that it's a physical death where we will return to dust, but it's also a spiritual death where we, are remo- we will be removed from God's favour. See, we actually need rescuing. And that's where we see a second reason to praise God. See, we saw that we can praise God because he shows favour to the lowly. We can also praise God because he himself became lowly in order to redeem us who are lowly. This is what the author of Hebrews says 
when he quotes this psalm. Turn with me uh, to Hebrews 2, if you've got your Bibles with you. Going to Hebrews 2, it'll be up on the screen if you don't have a Bible. Hebrews 2 and verse 6. The author says this. He says, There is a place where someone has testified, What is mankind that you are mindful of them? A son of man that you care for him. You have made them a little lower than the angels and you crown them with glory and honour and put everything under their feet. Note this is Psalm 8. In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present we do not see everything subject to them, but we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honour, because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. See, God himself became lowly in the person of Jesus. Jesus is God's Son, God Himself. This is the one who created the splendor of the heavens, the sun, the moon, the rings around Saturn. Yet He condescended lower than the angels. That is, He became one of us dusty, worm-like humans. It's not that Jesus pretended to be human or merely appeared to be human. He took on our flesh with all its problems and weaknesses. That is a condescension that we cannot grasp. The immortal become mortal. The all-powerful become limited. The creator become a creature. And Hebrews says that, that he did that. He became like us in order to redeem us. He lowered himself even to the point of death. That very death that we deserve. His death in the place of you and me. The author of the Hebrews ends that section. He says, He suffered death so that by the grace of God He might taste death for everyone. You might uh, say to me, Yes, God, but we still die physically, don't we? And yes, that's true. But Jesus has taken the penalty for our rebellion. As we trust in Him, we are restored into right relationship with God and that physical death won't actually last. We will be raised and we will be brought into perfect relationship with God, enjoying His favour in the best sense. It is Jesus who brings us into true glory and honour. It is in Him that we see God's love displayed. So can we marvel with David? I think that one of the amazing things about this psalm is that it begins and it ends by saying, Lord, our Lord. How wonderful is that our? This is a psalm to be sung to our Lord, not just the one who made us, but the one who redeemed us, the one who cares for us, the one who is mindful of us, the one who would become like us to redeem us. 
And David writes this psalm because he thinks that our God is the biggest and the best. He is convinced that God's majesty fills the earth. So what is our view of God? Is he someone small who can be put in a box and placed off to the corner? Maybe he's someone who we think about on a Sunday morning, but come Monday morning, he's completely out of our minds. Or do we think that he is majestic beyond our understanding? That he is the most noble, the most glorious, the most wonderful? Is he worthy of all our praise? And as we think about that, we've got to ask the question, What would it look like to live a life of praise? When we think about praising God, we often think about singing. That's exactly what David does in this psalm. That's good and true. We're actually going to sing after this. That's wonderful. But as I come to a close, it might be helpful to think quickly about two more broad ways of thinking of praise. The first is that praise is an attitude. Praise isn't an object or one specific action, it's an attitude. We all know what it's like to have a completely rotten attitude. It means that no matter what you do, it's done in disgust. I can uh, remember with shame as I used to take the bins out, stomping my feet, right? Even when we sing to God, if we sing with a bad attitude, it's not praise. So, We are to have an attitude that is done, that everything we do is done to honour God. My actions are to magnify Him because of what He has done in Jesus. It is grounded in Christ. And that means that we can praise by singing, absolutely, but we should also be praising in every other part of our lives. We can praise God while we work, we can praise God while we cook, We can praise God while we drive the car or while we talk to friends. If we live in ways that are deliberately to honour Him, to magnify Him, then we're bringing praise to God. See, praise is an attitude that fuels actions. And secondly, praise is a choice. I think we all know that it is much easier to praise God when everything is going well. But life isn't always wonderful. In fact, sometimes it's really hard. And some of you will know that far, far better than I will. But we can still choose to praise God. So whether we are feeling like it or not, praise is a choice, not based on us, but based on Christ. It is rooted in what He has done. Psalm 8 reminds us that He cares for us And he is mindful of us, so much so that he sent his son to restore us to himself. So let's follow David's lead and praise our Lord for who he is and what he's done. I'll close with David's words. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Amen.